Welcome to Divergent Unicorns, a podcast created to provide actionable steps to people that have been typically underrepresented in the venture and startup landscape. I'm your host, Behavia Stewart. And I'm your host, Ema Essien. We are both HBCU VC fellows and have experience in venture capital. On this episode, we speak to Megan Holston Alexander, partner at the Cultural Leadership Fund at A16Z, also a graduate of Clark Atlanta University with a bachelor's degree and a graduate of Stanford University with a master's of business administration and also a member of the board of directors for HBCUVC. Let's hop right on in. Megan, can you tell us about your journey into the startup and venture capital space? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. I can tell you all about it and I will try to make it quick. Um, So I actually, uh, before venture capital, I used to work in the sports and philanthropy space. So I helped professional athletes figure out how to give their money away, which is a really fun job. Um, And after working in that space, I actually went to business school to try to continue to grow. And I I went to business school with the ultimate goal of becoming um, head of philanthropy for the NFL. I was like, I know all the teams. I know the players. I've been on, I was on the Super Bowl host committee when they were here in uh, San Francisco for Super Bowl 50. I was like, this isn't like my thing. And so I go to business school and get completely distracted by finance, fall in love with venture capital. I actually took a course um, with a few different VCs and I'll never forget Eric Schmidt, who's the former uh, CEO of Google, uh, we went for kind of a short walk one day after class. And he he said to me, um, you know, you're doing, you know, just really great in the class. I think you should consider doing VC for reals. And I was like, "Eh, black people don't do VC. I I had no concept of people of color actually being in this space. Um, And kind of after I, I thought about it a little bit more and spent time with it, I was like, well, if Eric Schmidt thinks I should try it, <laughs> maybe I should I should look into it. Um, and so one of the reasons why I knew I was actually really interested is in the class, I devoured everything. And I, I've never been crazy about reading. I'm from Alabama. I went to failing schools for a, a long time in my life. Never been a big reader. And I would read everything in the class. I would read extra stuff. Um, and so I started really diving in. I started meeting people. I started my blog, A Black Girl Adventure, to kind of help me on that path. And I spent so much time just running up and down Sand Hill Road, asking people for meetings. And can I talk to you about this? And will you be on my blog? Um, And, you know, in business school, you're supposed to do one internship in between your first year and your second year. And um, I ended up over the span of my time in business school, I did four internships. I was not playing. I knew if I wanted to make this career change into finance and VC, I had to get as many reps in as possible. Um, And so that that really was the path. And ultimately my last internship turned into what would be my full-time role um, is helping start a brand new venture firm straight out of business school called Unusual um, that I spent the last two years at, and then I've been at Andreessen for, for a year. So that's the long, I guess, and short version of the story. Wow. That's a pretty interesting journey. Just wondering, I know you attended Clark Atlanta University, HBCU fam. So just wondering how has that experience been beneficial on your journey? Yes. Yes. Shout out to CAU. Um, I think the biggest thing is CAU gave me my motto for life. We have a a motto. It's 
I'll find a way to make one. And it is on the school, like crest and banner and coat of arms. I'll find a way to make one. I literally have it written on my whiteboard over here. Um, any task that kind of comes in front of me, it's, I'll find a way to make one. I'll find a way to make one. Um, and so it, it really is like a rallying cry for those of us who came from CAU, the AUC, and quite frankly, HBCUs. Um, it's just like this, this knowledge that we have to just keep going. <laughs> we have to just keep pushing. Um, and so I, I think CAU really put that battery in my back around just keep going, figure it out. Um, but it also like gave me insight into like, I am not what the world has always told me I am. There's so much more to being a black person. There's so much more to being a student. There's so much more to being a culture than what you see on TV and what all the stereotypes are. And so I think I also learned to like appreciate that and like really uh, bask in it in a way that I don't think I would have been able to do otherwise. That's amazing. Like thinking about finding a way or making one, like that's, that's a really great philosophy to carry throughout whatever you do. Now, I really want to know more about the job that you have now at A16Z. You work with Chris. He's one of the coolest people ever. So what's the day to day? Like, how are you doing? Like you've been there for a year now. So like, has it changed over the time too? Yep. So it's it's so funny because Chris and I were actually friends before I, I, I joined Andreessen Horowitz and he was a big part in... Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm, he was a big part in convincing me to, to come over um, to the firm. But what we do, so the Cultural Leadership Fund, uh, we're a strategic co-investment vehicle inside of Andreessen Horowitz. Um, and so, as you know, Andreessen, we have a, a ton of different funds. We've got a main fund and a bio fund and a crypto fund and a late stage fund, and then the CLF, the Cultural Leadership Fund. And when I say co-investment vehicle, I mean that we invest alongside um, investments from the other funds. So we've got our own set of LPs, 42 all Black limited partners um, who trust our small team of two, me and Chris, to invest their money across the injuries and horror. The best team. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but it's, it's, it's really great because we've got two main missions. One, connecting the world's greatest cultural leaders to the best new technology companies. And then second, getting more African-Americans into tech. And so kind of on that first mission, when we say the world's greatest cultural leaders, uh, what we mean is the world's greatest athletes, entertainers, musicians, and C-level executives. Um, because we believe that black people deserve to be on the cap tables. We want, if, if Andreessen Horowitz as a firm, if we believe that we're investing in the best new technology companies, we feel like we have a responsibility to make sure that, um, you know, we're providing opportunities for the cap tables to be as diverse as possible from the beginning. And on the talent side, which is our second mission, that the, the talent and the hires are diverse very early on. Um, and so we, we really do focus on those core missions. And the thing that makes Andreessen Horowitz very different is that we are actually, um, from my perspective, I've seen the firm really putting the resource and the, the resources and the time into making those two things happen. So um, those are, our, you know, the two reasons why we come to work every day and that, that Chris and I really push so hard um, is for diversifying cap tables and also diversifying early teams. 
Love it. And another major project to do is Founders Meet Founder Funders of Always. Can you talk about how that got started? Because it's a huge event now. Like you guys have scaled it up from like, I think two years ago. So what was that process like? What was the idea behind it? I know there's a post that came out today about it, but we yeah. also had your, yeah, and I read it. It was amazing. It was written by my <laughs> friend Abina. But like, I want to hear it from your own words. Like, what was it about? Ime, you're like the best hype man. It, you're making my day and I appreciate it. Um, so we, um, so Julia Collins and I, so Julia Collins is the co-founder of Zoom Pizza, the first black woman to be a founder of a unicorn, meaning a company that's valued at a billion dollars. She and I, um, who met uh, when she was a, a, a visitor in one of my classes at Stanford, we just like hit it off immediately and became friends. Um, we were spending time talking a lot about me as an investor, because I was um, on the investment team, like I said, at the firm that I helped launch. Um, and she was uh, starting her new company at the time. And we had just talked about like, why is it that so many black women are creating really amazing businesses, but can't seem to connect with capital sources uh, to fund those businesses. And uh, we were like, okay, you're, I was like, okay, you're a founder. I'm an investor. You've got your squad. You know, all the black women founders, you know where they are. And I was like, and I've started creating like this really great investment community um, around the work that I, I'd like to do. How about we pull them together and just completely get rid of this idea of um, warm intros, because those are obviously tied to your network. And if you aren't from one of these kind of really exclusive networks, you don't have access to that group. And so we really just came up with the idea to, to tear that wall down. Um, and then we went on to connect with, we said, well, who can help us put together like a really high quality event? Um, and my friend Dom, who also went to Clark Atlanta. And yes, also, we had her on the pod. She's amazing. Oh, perfect. Yes. And so she is also a member of the greatest sorority in the world, Delta Sigma Theta. Um, um, so she so she was uh, leading events at Y Combinator. So she had done Demo Day, which is like a gigantic um, event for like the last five or six demo days. So she had really had a grasp on how to put together a high quality event for founders um, with investor involvement. So the three of us really kind of just started putting in the work and uh, created when founder met funder and it was you know we originally were like we're, we can try to get like 20 or 30 founders you know the first one was in person so we're like oh it's not that many but the first year we had over a hundred women not only locally but people flew in for the event and the fact that they were able to meet with high quality um investors you know charles from precursor um Anargia from mavron like all of these really great uh providers of capital was I think really next level and we're excited about what it, what it grew into um once i came on at injuries and horowitz they just totally helped me adopt it within the firm and gave me the kind of support and resources to keep it going so we're really pleased we're excited for year three um and we've got some exciting stuff coming wow that's pretty exciting hopefully Eme and i can attend if it's open um Eme can't come but you can come, Davia. Oh, wow. Ime is not invited to anything. Ime is not invited. Um, well, unless, Ime, you identify as a Black woman founder, um, that's totally, you can totally be there. I, I'm good, Pam. I'm good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and one thing that you mentioned, you talked about the conversation that you had with Julia Collins and how difficult it can be for Black women to find capital for startups. So we'd love to know your, know from your perspective, like, 
what are our VCs looking for when evaluating a company? Yeah, um, it can be any number of things. And one of the things, the things that I've learned and I've got really careful about saying is giving um, very specific um, kind of metrics and outcomes that you're expected to have. Because the fact of the matter is that VCs are like snowflakes. Everyone is different. They're all looking for something different. They value things very differently. So one founder might be like, or one investor might be like, if the founder is it, I don't, I don't care about the traction. I, I think this person can really push it forward. And then a different investor might say, like, these are my minimum requirements. You have to have 100K in ARR and you have to have this and that. And so it's very difficult to bunch those things together um, and kind of create a standard. So instead, I think the advice that I would give is really find, um, and this is a really common saying, what you're the best in the world at doing. Um, and I think another way of, of kind of saying that and something we say a lot at the firm is like, figure out what's your earned secret right? Something that all of your experiences, all the things that you've done in your life, the work that you've done, the way that you were raised, the, the geography in which we were raised, how do those things come together to make you the best at doing something? What do you know because of all of those experiences that nobody else, is, nobody else knows? And so once you figure that out and you put that into your business and you help tell that story and help investors understand, that's one of the biggest um, I think competitive edges that you can have is like your ability to directly connect to the thing that you're building and why you have some special insight. I think the other thing that is really important that, and I'll speak specifically to, to what I've seen from black founders is that not, not thinking big enough in terms of market size, right? Um, you know, historically, especially when it comes to small businesses, black folks have been starting small businesses forever. Uh, we call them side hustles. We call it the, the black market. We call it so many things, but um, entrepreneurship is deeply, deeply embedded in our community, particularly at the small business level. Because I mean, quite frankly, like I said, I'm from Alabama. It's a place where, um, you know, job opportunities are low, unemployment is high. And so people had to figure out how to make ends meet. And that's entrepreneurship when you create something to make money. Um, and so one thing that I've seen is thinking like, a company can only be so big that it can only be a small business, but it's like, no, like you could be creating a billion dollar business um, right out of your house. And so I always encourage um, founders to think about how big this thing can be, how big can the market be and really, really express that. Don't be afraid of a, a billion dollar number, right? It's hard to conceptualize. Um, what is a billion dollars? I don't know. Like, I don't know. And I hear people talk about it every day, right? But really taking that leap to think about how big can this be and why can I get there? That's a really great answer. I really appreciate that. I think the next question I have for you is like, you've worked at a bunch of different venture funds. You've been in this, you've been in the scene a while now. So I want to ask you like, how have you- uh Oh, I think we are frozen. Oh, you're moving again, Ime. I'm sorry. I'm good. I'm good. Yes, can you see me? I can see you. Cool. Well, I was just asking, like, if you, you worked at a few different venture funds, like you have, you've been in the scene a while now, like what have you seen in the spaces grown in a diversity aspect and where do you think it's heading in the future? Mm -hmm. I absolutely think from um, my own experiences that I've seen over the last four years of being in this space, um, 
there's so many more people interested in figuring out what venture is. It used, even when I was in business school, it was kind of like this secretive, like sketchy thing and nobody really knows who's in it and how to do it. But with so many programs emerging and with so many um, people getting access to the information, um, I'm excited to see how many people are coming to me and saying like, hey, Megan, I'm interested in venture. What do I need to do? How do I get an internship? Who do I talk to? Um, excuse me. And so I would say from my perspective, I've seen um, really a proliferation um, of the opportunity to get in venture just, just grow and spread. I do think um, what's going to have to match that, right? What's going to have to match this newfound interest and increase of, of diverse folks interested in venture is uh, venture firms and their willingness to uh, really take on people in apprenticeship roles. That's what early investing is. Junior investing roles are very much apprenticeships. Um, and, it, and I actually tweeted about this probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, apprenticeship is not like throwing somebody in the deep end and saying, figure it out, and then being confused about why they failed. Like, what happened? You like, And it's like, no, it really is a one-on-one -on -one relationship of bringing this person in your meetings, help showing them how to do diligence and, and kind of going through that process. And so I think if, if VCs can get that part right um, and retain people and help teach them and develop them and help them learn and grow, um, then the likelihood that these new kind of new folks to venture will be successful. It's really important. And I, I think it's not just about getting people in the door, it's about keeping them in the door and helping them be successful. Wow, thank you for that. And I guess on the topic of diversity, one of the coolest things about the fund that you are currently supporting, CLF, um, it has one of the most diverse set of people on the cap table. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about why that is important and what are the possible impacts from doing so? Yep, yep. So at CLF for Fund One, um, we had 42 all Black cultural leaders as investors in our fund. It's the first time that that has ever happened in Silicon Valley. And it's really important because when it comes to culture, right, who, who are the leaders of culture? What kind of people? Rappers. <laughs> Rappers. I'll take it. I'll take it. But historically, it's been Black people. Yeah. You know, it's from types of music who created jazz and country and rock and roll all the way to the way that people dance, the words they like to say, hashtag black Twitter. Like we have so much involvement in what's cool and what's exciting and what people wanna be involved in, but very rarely do we have ownership in those things. And so the, the CLF is all about helping create ownership in the things that um, we have a huge part in making popular. And a lot of times, that's in technology, especially over the last five to 10 years. And so that's why the fund, um, partially why the fund was created to help Black people get ownership in the things that they help make huge. That's awesome. And can you also talk about the impact of you guys? Because I know you're partnering with several different organizations and working with them to diversify like the talent pool that's happening at these different tech companies too. Yep, and so I would say for the, you, you're talking about impact specifically for our, our talent group? Yeah. Yep, okay, so the, the talent part is really interesting because I think the influencers, influencers and the cultural leaders are really cool and it gets people excited, but the talent side and getting 
black folks into early stage companies is is really why we um what we push for super hard on a daily basis and and let me tell you why so there's there's two ways that that we do it one we have our nonprofit strategy which is uh, 100% of our management fee and our carry from our fund are donated to a set of nonprofits that are specifically focused on that mission of getting more black folks into tech and i think in this day and age, everybody wants to create something like, let me start something new. Let me create a program to get more black people in tech. But the fact is that people have been doing this work. There are organizations that have been hard at work to get African-Americans into tech for a long time. So we thought that, that our kind of resources would be better used to bolster those organizations instead of like creating kind of dividing capacity. Let's kind of support them in what they've already been doing to help them be successful. So over the last two and a half years since we started that the, the fund, um, we've already donated over a million dollars to those organizations um, and started placing some of their graduates in roles. And these are organizations from, you know, groups that work with high school students, giving them their kind of first foray into tech. These are the opportunities. These are STEM type jobs you can look into all the way to orgs that are upskilling and reskilling adults who have maybe done different jobs their whole life. Maybe they were in retail, maybe they were doing something else. Um, and they want to take advantage of the opportunities and technology. And so these organizations really are bringing new folks into tech. And then the second way that we do it is our mid-level strategy. And this one is really cool because we, what we found when talking to our portfolio companies is that at the early stage, C, Series A, Series B, while we thought the biggest need was going to be entry-level roles, when we talked to them, we found out that, you know, at that stage, you're time constrained, you're resource constrained, you don't really have a training program built out just yet. And so what you need is mid-level people. So folks who have two to three years of experience who can come in, or two to three years, probably up to maybe like eight-ish years of experience, um, come in, hit the ground running, provide a lot of value early. And so the way that we do that is one, net new people to tech. So maybe somebody was in marketing at Mercedes-Benz corporate, or they were in sales at a big you know, CPG company. Um, those aren't traditionally tech companies, but those hard skills of marketing, customer success, sales, HR, finance, are very easily transferable into technology where those people can be successful. And then the second part uh, is people who are already in tech but maybe they're at a later stage company, right? They're at a, a Facebook or a Google. We want to create a narrative where um, we, we, we create a story that's compelling about why early stage companies are so cool. And there's a couple of different reasons. So one, um, when you come in as an early employee, you have so much say so in how the product is built and who it's for and who it's marketed to and in what ways um, you really get to help shape and mold what the product is in a way that I think is really important and critical for product inclusion. And second, employee equity is really not a small deal <laughs> at the early stage, right? This is where wealth is created, right? And I think it's great that um, you know, black people work at large companies, but so much of that exponential value has already been extracted from those companies. And, you know, you hear people saying, I was employee number 22 at whatever place, and I was employee number 36 at this place. We need more black employee number 22s. And so our goal at the CLF is to have that impact and get more people of color, specifically black people, um, into early roles in our portfolio. Mm. And the last question we have for you, is there any resources that you will give the people 
uh, to what if they want to learn more about startups and venture capital? Because you listed all these organizations you guys work with. But what do you? What were you reading when you were getting into the scene at what during business school? Yes. Um, so there's a lot of different resources, and actually, maybe I can send you all a link because I made a whole resource page. I'll send it to you, and maybe you can put it out whenever you put this out. But like, there are books. Um, the, one of my favorite books around startups is The Lean Startup. Also, one of the founders of the firm, Ben Horowitz, has two books, um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, What You Do Is Who You Are. Um, also, there are a ton of newsletters. Um, uh, I think Fortune has some newsletters. Forbes has newsletters. Uh, Axios has a newsletter. Um, but I will send you, I have a, a really great list that I can compare send over to you guys that you can share out with the community. But I, my, but the first book that I read about VC was this little thin black book. And I wrote about it. It's like the first post on my blog. It's called <laughs> Break Into VC or something like that. It's like this thick. Oh, by it, Bradley Miles? I don't remember, but it sounds familiar. And it yeah, gives like, all the most basic ways to think yeah. about venture, it, like layman's terms for everything. And I really appreciate it. Um, because VC can get super jargony. Wow, thank you for those resources. Of course, and I will send you that link, um, that doc once, I, once we hop off. Well, I think that's all the questions we had. This has been amazing. Dehavia, we're good to go? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Thank you for hopping on the pod with us. This has been a really It was nice meeting you. Of course. It was uh, so great to be with you both. 